Uh, so this week we're talking about endurance. Endurance. Now, endurance is kind of one of these funny things because it seems to like call something from in here, but the question is, is where does that energy come from? So for instance, uh, when I was a young Boy Scout, I was a Boy Scout, uh, we took this backpacking trip to Mammoth Cave in Kentucky. Has anybody been to Mammoth Cave in Kentucky? It's a really cool place, a beautiful place. So there's some wilderness around there, and so we backpacked for a whole week, and in the middle of the week, we hiked into town, we went to the caves, all that stuff. Uh, but here's the funny thing. I was a very scrawny middle schooler. Um, I know that I don't look like I was ever scrawny in my life, but uh, I didn't come out this size, and it took some time, and it was awkward sometimes. Remember those awkward stages of development? So there was this time between like 3 and 34 that um, <laughs> my knees and my elbows were some of the thickest parts of my body, right? So I was like more knees and elbows than anything else. Um, I thought that maybe as an adult what I could do is I could rent myself out to anatomy classes and I could just show up in a Speedo and they could look at all the bones in my body, right? There was just, I was that skinny of an individual. Now the challenge of a backpacking trip is that where does all your stuff go? On your back, yeah. And it was like 1993, so uh, backpacking gear was not in the full advent of space and aeronautical design. Any, any hikers out there? Backpacking gear has gotten increasingly light over time. It's amazing. Uh, but when we went, we took our regular um, sleeping bags, and we took our regular tents, and we took all of this normal gear. And so it was a very heavy trip. And everybody had to take their turn, which meant that sometimes I got the 24-pound Sport tent tied to the top of my backpack. The issue is, is that was like one-third of my body weight. And then there was the rest of my gear, right? And by the third day, I was worn out. I had no endurance left. There was no body fat to feast from. When you're backpacking, you don't have the greatest food going in, right? So we're eating like summer sausage and Velveeta. And as it turns out, that is not sustaining for a middle schooler. It wasn't so great. I was not having a good time. And uh, my scoutmasters noticed that. And so they got together with everybody and they said, we need to take care of Chris. He cannot endure his load. Now, do you think that was good news or bad news for me? <laughs> it was both, right? Because at almost 13, what did I really want to do? I could do it myself, guys. I am man enough. Look at these knees. See how strong they are. I have bones too, right? But then inside, also at the same time, there was like this, thank you. I am dying here. I'm being crushed by a burden because what looks like a normal load for you is gigantic for me, you know? I might be like an ant, but I still can't carry much more than a crouton. That's, that's my body weight, right? And so there was this goodness, but also this embarrassment. And what did that cause? Embarrassment caused something to puff up inside of me. I will show them. I can do it. But what is that that's coming up inside of me at that point in time? That's actually pride. Does pride endure for very long? No, but it can, right? Pride can last a very long time. And so this is how pride looked to me. I might not be able to carry as much as you, but I can carry it twice as fast as you, right? Because one thing I did have was long legs and quick feet. And so I would usually be at least a quarter mile ahead of everybody else out in my own world. Now, did anybody say anything to me about that every day, multiple times a day? 
absolutely. You need to stay with the group, Chris. You need to stay with the group, Chris. Come on, stay with us, Chris. But I was like a cat that was greeting people in church. I did not want to be herded to my seat. And so I would get ahead of everybody. And then one day, on almost the last of the trip, we were returning, and, and I was cruising. I had gotten this down, and I was ahead of everybody else. And, and the trail was mostly flat, but then there was a hill. And it was just a little hill. It went down for about 20 feet, and then it took a pitch upward like this at the same angle, and equal distant. Something went wrong on the hill. I hit a root, and that root caused me to stumble. Thankfully, I didn't fall down, but my pack was top-heavy. And so while I didn't fall down, I was running down the hill like this. And when I got to the bottom of the hill, pardon me, I did the neti pot this morning, it's still dripping out. I got to the bottom of the hill, and my pack at the top of it, the bar, lodged between a root and a rock. So I was stuck there while they marched more than a quarter mile to me. I couldn't get out of the pack because it was cinched and cinched, right? And I was stuck like an ostrich. They got the best part of me, the view of me, right? When they came up over that little hump and down the hump, I'm sitting there wiggling, shaking, trying to get free. All of the enduring pride right? Because I became empty of myself. See, we have an issue in our culture. When we think of endurance, we think of digging down deep and something inside of us going, I can do this, right? And inside of us, sometimes we think that's what those extra two cylinders in our inner V8 is for, right? When you're going up that hill and you romp on the gas harder and you think, I'm going to get up this. The problem is, is that culturally we're trained that that's pride, that that's some sort of inner strength you have, but that's very different than how God talks about endurance and what he shares about endurance. And today I want to share with you how surrender actually leads to endurance in your life. Okay, before we do that, I would like to pray, and then I'm going to ask you guys to write something down. Uh, Father, thank you for today. Thank you for every person in here. We know, Father, that you are drawing us to know you through your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray, God, that in this time of listening and learning, this time of contemplation and engaging with you, that you would teach us, that you would bless us, that you would grow us. Father, I pray that we would know your son more today and know everlasting life through him. I pray this in his name. Amen. Okay, so I said I was going to ask you to write something down. I want you to write down a burden that you're carrying. I want you to write down maybe something that was stressing you out this week, something that's bothering you, something that is a, a concern that you have. Just take a moment and write it down. It's just between you and the Lord. You're not going to have to share this with anybody. You're not going to have to tell anybody. You can treat it like a poker game, and you can try and write it so that nobody can see. But if we're all writing it down, if we're all writing it down, then uh, that's good. Then, then that will be just between us and the Lord. This awkward silence is brought to you by my imagination. You're welcome. You can pay the awkward silence forward. Okay. So now that you've written that down, I'd like to share this truth with you. Everyone carries stress. Everyone faces difficulty. And everybody has to endure those things. Everybody that you know carries stress. Everybody that you know carries difficulty. 
Everybody, everybody that you know is trying to endure or wants to endure. And that is true of you. Now that thing on your paper, I can tell you this about that thing on your paper. God is able to work in that thing on your paper. God is not incapable. There's no problem that you face that is bigger than him. Um, I remember early in my faith, there was this thing called the Veggie Tales that had come out. Anybody remember the Veggie Tales? They're kind of dated now, but our kids still love them. And there was a song, and it was, God is bigger than the boogeyman. He's bigger than your problems and the monsters on TV. God is bigger than the boogeyman, and he's big enough for you and me. And uh, I thought, that's kind of funny. Of course God is bigger than the boogeyman. But then as an adult, what I realized is that I have problems, and I never call them the boogeyman. I call them like the IRS. <laughs> and I call them like my pride and sin. And I, I wonder, I fret, who's going to take care of this thing for me? I, I've been praying about the IRS for a while. Maybe you have to. But, but God is bigger than those things, right? God is more capable than we know, and he can do more than we can ask or imagine. In Romans, we receive this promise that God is working all things for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purposes, right? So he's, he's working out in all things good for you who are called and who love him. He's working them out for his purposes. But not only that, we have this promise. Not that just God is over there and big enough and taking care of it, right? It's also that God is near and God is willing for you to draw near. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, this isn't the main text, but uh, I just don't want you to feel like you're stuck waiting for something from the Lord. So turn to he Hebrews 4, if you will. Hebrews 4. So in the book of Hebrews, just for some quick context while you're turning there, there's this group of early believers, and they come from the Jewish faith, and they've accepted Christ, but they're being pummeled by people who are berating them and telling them that they need to turn back to the law, that Jesus was good enough for forgiveness once to reconcile them to God, but now it is up to them by their works to maintain a faith that God will bless, that will please God, and they can do that through the law. Now, is that true? No, a resounding no in the church, right? Like the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law, was for the Israelites on how they should walk with the Lord. And now we have something greater, someone greater, a better testament, Jesus Christ. And he is sufficient for our salvation in all ways. And we don't have to turn back to a law. And so what they're wondering, what they were trained in, is that the system of sacrifice was their means of relief from the burden of sin and also the path to blessing in life, okay? That that was the path to, path to blessing in life. So they didn't realize that that was through Christ alone. And so the author of Hebrews, who is mysterious to us, by the way, we don't know, God keeps us guessing, he starts talking about how God is capable and better than the law. He says this in verse 12. He says, the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from him. Not it, him. So what is the word of God that's being talked about now that we have this pronoun him in there? Jesus, amen. Yeah, so this is actually talking about Jesus, right? It's not, it's not talking about just the book. Does God use the book in our lives though, right? The, the Bible's a gift to us, but this is talking about the person of Jesus, the living God who died and rose from the dead bodily. It says that he is able to look into us and understand us completely. And he says this, no creature is hidden from him, 
but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who, uh, to whom we must give an account. And all the middle school boys giggled, and then all of the adults went, naked and exposed? <gasps> That's no good, right? So this is a big deal. What is this saying? Jesus sees everything we are. We can't hide anything from him. That he sees our hearts, he sees our thoughts, he sees our intention. He sees the good, and he sees the bad, and he sees the ugly. That's, that gives us pause, doesn't it? We don't like being exposed. We, we rarely do that. Rarely do we give someone the opportunity to see everything we are, even ourselves, because we're anxious about it. Are we good enough? And then it says this. I love this. There's this sharp contrast. Therefore, since we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. What's the confession? That Jesus died for me, that he atoned for my sins, that there's no shame, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He doesn't look for the sake of condemnation. He looks for the sake of restoration and renewal and reward. He's trying to release you from the bonds that are holding you back. He's trying to strengthen you with his mighty power. It's good news that Jesus can see because then he can address it. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. In other words, Jesus sees us naked and exposed, our strength and our weaknesses, our victories and our failures. And he does so as one who has also suffered. He does, want, he does so as one who understands with great compassion. And then it says this, Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Isn't that awesome? Jesus sees that. He sees the thing that you've written on your paper. And he doesn't go, well, if you could just handle that better, I'd be willing to talk to you. I've told you time and time again, and you can't figure it out. I am not interested in talking with you about this again. Instead, he says this, come into my presence. And what do you come into his presence with? Boldness. Boldness. Isn't that awesome? Why? Because we know that he will give us grace, which is forgiveness, which is kindness and mercy, but it's also favor, and with that favor, strength from the Holy Spirit and the things that you need to endure in the difficulty that you're in. And so that thing that you've written down, God is able and God is capable, and if you rush into his throne room, he's willing to listen to you and to talk with you and to give you mercy and grace that you have, that you need in your time of need. That's good news, amen? Amen, all right, let's pray and bring the communion. No, 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 that's not the whole sermon. That's just the preamble. It's like the Constitution. It only gets better from here. So in all of these difficulties that we face, we need to endure, but we don't have to endure alone because we have sympathy, we have understanding, we have compassion, and we have a God who is able. Now let's get on the same page just really quick about what endurance is. I went to a bunch of places for some definitions. Endurance is this. Uh, it's the act of bearing a load or a weight in life or of suffering, right? So it's the act of bearing a load or weight in life or bearing suffering. And that's from bibliatodo.com, which is not a, a website that is about the Bible and the Wizard of Oz, just so you know. It's, it's actually about the Bible alone. Uh, it is the power to withstand hardship or stress, 
That's from BibleHub.com. These, by the way, are online Bible dictionaries. Are you guys familiar with what a Bible dictionary is? Have you ever been reading a term in the Bible and you're like, what does that mean? Or someone explains a Bible verse and you're like, I don't think that word means what they said it means. That's what Bible dictionaries are for. Some people who are really smart have like written out an understanding of Bible terms and in general, they're pretty accurate, right? Uh, this is my favorite one, almost. It's the ability to persevere in a task or a calling. Now, what just shifted there? The first two are about difficulties in life. But this one is about what? It's about our walk with Christ. It's about who we are, because Christ is a calling in our lives, right? He's got work for all of us to do, and it's the ability to persevere in that. And then finally, this is not from a Bible dictionary, but it's from the Bible. And I was kind of surprised to realize that none of the Bible dictionaries had this in there that they talked about the act of it, but they, they missed the source of it. it. They missed what it comes from. And I think that a Bible dictionary gets to stand out differently than other dictionaries, right? It can have a, a definition that actually focuses on the Lord and his sufficiency for us, but we miss that because, you know, we, we are like that sometimes. We miss the obvious. So it says a gift, it's a gift from God, which comes through his power and strength. So endurance is a gift from God that comes through his power and strength. And here's the big idea. So if you're like, I didn't have enough coffee today or sleep yesterday, if you just remember this, you're not going to be as good as if you hear the whole thing, but this is the start of it, right? So God gives strength to endure when we surrender to his will. God gives strength to endure when we surrender to his will. Uh, it's, it's really interesting in God's word. There's all sorts of things that are unconditional, right? What are some of the unconditional things in God's word? Grace, good, yes, grace is unconditional. It's not conditioned on us. Who is grace conditioned on? Jesus, Jesus. God chose that he would give grace, right? And so grace is given to all and for all. It is not of ourselves. It is of him. It's a gift, right? Anything else that's given unconditionally from God? Forgiveness, good, amen, because he did that as well, right? Anything else that's unconditionally given from God? Love, good, yeah. God says, I love unconditionally, right? And we can have more of that love or we can have less of that love depending upon our desire for the Lord, but that love is given. How about other things? Did anybody work to turn on the sun today? Did you have to get up and like screw that thing in so it was gonna be out there and bright? Because if so, I wanted to talk to you last week. It wasn't so sunny. You gotta work harder for that, right? Or, or do you have to work hard for like rain to fall in season or snow? To, no, there's like, there's general grace over all of the earth that God sustains good things in life for all people. So there's specific grace and there's general grace for all. But then there are some conditional graces, some things that we need to want. Yeah, peace, that's right. We have to let the peace of Christ reign in our hearts. That's a biblical instruction, right? So is Christ's peace there? Did he make opportunity for peace? Yes, but then we have a thing to do to receive that peace. We need to let peace reign, which means it gets to be the king of our hearts and minds and the person of Jesus instead of those feelings of anger or despair or sorrow or even momentary happiness, that peace reigns in us. Well, endurance is one of those conditional blessings. You have to pursue something in the Lord in order to receive endurance. And according to the text today, I think that comes through surrender to God's will. But let's look at that together. Uh, Paul, in Colossians 1, 9 and following, he prays for the Colossian church. And I think this is something we can pray for ourselves. He says, for this reason also. So for, for what reason? Does anybody know what reason? I can tell you what reason. Because of the faith in the Colossian church. 
See, Paul didn't plant the Colossian church, but he heard about their faith. He heard about the love of Jesus Christ that was growing in them. He heard about the power of God moving in their midst. He says, because of this, because of this great salvation you have in Jesus, he's the one that salvation is from, I pray also, since the day we've heard of your faith, we haven't stopped praying for you, and we're asking this, that you may be filled with the knowledge of, of his will in all wisdom, in all wisdom, and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. There it is. So that you may have great endurance and patience. In what? In knowing God's will which is a gift from him. So it's something that we need to receive from him, which means we need to submit to receiving. I find it interesting in myself how much I'm like a spiritual toddler and God wants to do something for me and then me, like the stubborn three-year-old that lives in my heart sometimes, I stomp my foot and I say, no, Jesus, I do it myself. Have you ever met a little kid who's like that? Like they need help doing the thing, they're struggling with it, but then inside they're like, no, no adult who is capable of providing everything I need, no. I will do it for me. Uh, this is like this from the Lord, that he wants to do this thing in us. So he's calling us to childlike faith so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in light. Wow. What is endurance marked by then? Joyful thanksgiving. When is the last time that you met someone who is enduring that they had joyful thanksgiving? This is a marker that this type of endurance doesn't come from within us. It must come from within the Lord. Because when I'm enduring on my own, I don't look like I'm joyfully rejoicing. I, I don't want to say what I look like, but it's not that. And I don't want to say what you look like. It's not that. It's not a pretty picture, right? It's by the sweat of our brow. It's by the force inside of us that we often endure but Jesus has a better endurance for us. Now, we said earlier that everybody endures hardship. Everybody needs endurance. And this is why our common human experience is shaped by hardship. Our common human experience is shaped by hardship. I don't need to mean to be a downer. I want everybody to have an amazing life. And yet at the same time, everybody I know faces so much difficulty. There's got to be a reason for it. And there is. God's word gives us a reason for it. It paints a picture of our basic existence. If you've got your word, uh, you might want to turn to Genesis chapter 3. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to look in verses 6 and 7. And this is, this is often called the, the fall, right? The, the moment when humanity uh, left its original created purpose. So it's this moment where Adam and Eve choose to disobey God, to go their own way and pursue their own desires and their pride. So in Genesis 3, 6, it says this, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some of it to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. The first suffering, the first suffering is distance from God distance from God and shame over self. You notice that? That the suffering doesn't start out there. That it, suffer, it comes from inside. They feel insecurity and difficulty. 
You know, I think the greatest burdens that we bear are often the things in here, the things that are in here, because we can solve the external problems, but then you go home at night, and where does a problem remain? In here, right? And so every human struggles inside at times, just with their very selves. They, they don't want to be exposed. They, they know their weakness. They're waiting for everybody to see it. You know, we live in this culture right now that is so performance-driven. Anybody like American Idol or America's Got Talent or these shows? I think they're great, right? But the reality is, is it puts a huge amount of pressure on each of us because it seems to fulfill that adolescent myth that everybody's watching us all the time and that we have to perform. You know, America has embraced professionalism and perfectionism, and so it's not okay to make mistakes anymore. You've, you've got to nail it. You've got to get it right. And if not, then they're all going to laugh at you, right? That everybody's going to see that you're not good enough and what pressure we face from the inside to be a certain way. And then in 3, 15 through 19, God starts to lay out the consequences of being away from him. It says, I will put hostility between you and the woman, this is the curse for the snake, and between your offspring and her offspring, and he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And then he said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains, and you will bear children with painful effort, and your desire will be for your husband, and he, yet he will rule over you. So this, this idea, this desire for your husband is, is actually that you would desire humans in the way that you should desire God you should desire humans in the way that you should desire God, but that it won't work the same way. There's a difference between God's rule and the rule of man over our hearts. God's rule is good for us, but often when people rule over us, it's for their good, not our own good. So authority becomes perverted in this. Have you ever noticed that? That human governments seem to fail constantly? That in the end, it always ends up being about somebody's greed or somebody's force? Every form of government that was envisioned by the Greeks was predicted to fail through the pride and the greed of those who were in charge. From democracy to despotism, the brokenness of the human soul weighs down our earth, and it always seems like we're rebuilding what was meant to stand forever, and, and it just doesn't. And then he says to the man, because you listened to your wife and you ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. And you will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistle for you. You will eat the plants of the field. They were eating fruit before. So fruit is something that you don't make happen. It happens automatically. That's the beauty of fruit. You take care of the tree and the tree takes care of you. You will, you will work from the sweat of your brow and you'll have to produce your food from the ground. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you were taken from it. For you are dust and you will return to dust. Man, have you ever just had a hard day's labor and you turn around and you feel like nothing happened? And you're like, I worked hard all day. How come nothing was accomplished? How come everything went wrong all the time? It's because the ground that you till will produce thorns. It's turned against you. It's not working in harmony with you. So ladies, you know, if you're young and you're bearing children still, when you're in labor and you look at your husband, you can't say, I hate you, this is your fault. You can say, Eve, what did you do to me? This wasn't supposed to be this way. When you're working and your coworkers are the worst, they're just thorns from the ground, you don't look at them and say, why do you stink so much? Why are you so terrible? You can look at the Lord and you can say, God, these thorns, ouch, do something, right? These are things that we earned collectively. And that's right. 
That's it. That's right. That's right. You got, you got to place blame where blame is due, right? We've just been living in this wave ever since. And so life is difficult. It's hard. You know, right now in a nation, in our nation, we face so much difficulty that there's more stress than there ever has been before. It's really wild. Since 2007, the American uh, Psychological Association, the APA, has done an annual stress survey in the United States. I've never participated in this, but they, they poll lots and lots of people, so it's a statistically valid test. And what they've noticed is that in the last three years, stress has gone through the roof. It's crazy, the statistics on stress right now. Right now, one in four people that you meet are absolutely stressed to the point where they feel like they're going to break. They score on their personal stress scale that they live between 8 and 10 on the stress scale. That's bad. It's like golf. You want a low score. So 1 is like you're at the beach in Maui and it couldn't get any better. And 10 is like, you know, you're at the gates of hell, but you don't feel like Jesus is prevailing, right? So, so they're living in that place. They're living in that place. Now, good news, if you're over 65, it's like 6 in 100 of you, right? Just 6% of you are stressed out. Bad news is if you're between the ages of 18 and 44, which is me, you're the most stressed out group in America. You're like, tell me about it, man. Like, tell me about it. It's really rough. I talk with young people and they're like, I'm just so heavy all the time and it's just so difficult. And it's because like between uh, one third and 40% of us are ready to freak out and explode in any given moment. That life is just that hard. It says that if you're a parent of a child under the age of 18 right now, up to 50% of you are so overwhelmed that you don't even know what to do on some days of the week, and you just feel like shutting down. Wow. Our common human existence is wearing on the human soul. We need endurance. We need greater strength. Also, maybe you're not stressed out right now. What does that mean that you have the opportunity to do? Laugh at those poor suckers. No, not at all. You have an opportunity to bear witness at the hope that you have in Christ. You have an opportunity to look at your fellow man and woman and say, man, I have been there before, but I got a source of endurance that never runs out, and I'd like to talk to you about that. Now, you're probably going to sound better than me or a used car, car salesman than when you do it, but the reality is, is that in Jesus, you have something very real to offer to every soul around you when you start to understand this endurance because everyone is shaped by this common hardship that we face. Next, the next thing that you need to understand about this is that external pressure equates directly to internal stress. External pressure equates directly to internal stress. Have you ever like been at the end of the week and you're like, why? Why am I so exhausted? Why am I so worn out? What, what is going on inside? It's because this whole week you've, you've faced all of these difficulties and they've, they've stacked up and yes, maybe you've dealt with them, but all of them, the weight of those things psychologically and emotionally directly equates to internal stress. And you, like any other thing, can only handle so much stress. Anybody in physics class or science class in high school have to build one of those bridges that they put in front of everybody else and then they started to put weight and weight and weight and they found the breaking point of that bridge? We're all like those bridges. We all have an internal strength that we have automatically and some things are just so big that they're going to wear us down and break us. And we need maintenance. We need maintenance to continue to handle the stress. We're just like our vehicles. We don't last forever inside or outside and we need something to care for us in the midst 
of that stress. Okay, we talked about that. On average, three in 10 people you're dealing with are meeting extreme stress. Uh, and we don't, have, we don't just have a hard time enduring when we are stressed. So we have a hard time enduring when we're stressed. But, but let's be honest. We're not always really great at enduring because there's other things that cause us to have difficulty. First, mundane, ordinary life. Have you ever had a season where life just seems to be on repeat and it's a little bit boring and you feel like you might need to spice up your life a little bit? Maybe a little vacation, maybe a new TV show on Netflix to binge, maybe a new salsa from Walmart. Let's see if we can kick it up a notch. Maybe a little cutie from work. Maybe a little bit of extra me time every day. Maybe a little bit of fun that is off limits. This happens to us. Remember the story of David and Bathsheba? Why did that happen? What was going on in David's life? Everything was good. Israel was expanding. His troops were facing victory after victory after victory because the Lord was with them. But David, David didn't go out to war that year. Why not? It was mundane. It was boring. Guys, we need adventures, right? Guys, we need cool stuff to do. The toys that we bought last year just aren't fun anymore. We need new toys. And so he was at home instead of doing the things that God called him to faithfully do. He wasn't enduring in the calling that he had. He lost endurance, and so he fell from his endurance. We don't need to go through the whole story. If you have questions about who this Bathsheba character is, I'll tell you later. But David fell. How about loneliness? How about loneliness? It's hard to endure when you're lonely. You just want company. And you know what's wild about loneliness? Is you don't have to be all alone to have loneliness. Remember one year we were having a New Year's Eve party at my, my parents' house. It's like the one party they threw every year. Look forward to it as an extrovert all the time. And, and one of my family friends, uh, we're sitting there, we're playing Trivial Pursuit, everybody's laughing, having a great time, and there's this silence. And then the friend goes, do you ever feel like you're alone in a group of people? And you can just feel everybody go, oh no, you're bringing it up. The pain of human existence while we're all supposed to be having a good time. And I thought about that, and I thought about that, and I realized that loneliness of soul doesn't just mean that you're alone physically, because there are people who are alone physically but have learned great fellowship with the Lord. Loneliness has to do with a lack of fulfillment in the connection that you have with the people around you, starting with God. And when we have loneliness and we don't have God, we start looking for other things to fulfill the loneliness. Remember that show Cheers from the 80s? Anybody... Under 40, watch the reruns of that ever with your parents or grandparents. Could anybody over 40 remember that show from when it was on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what were the lyrics? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name, where they're always glad that you came. You want to be where the people are, right? And so it's like talking about this great need of loneliness. And the thing that the, the director and the writer of Cheers figured out is that sometimes our loneliness can be solved by a TV because you felt like you were in the bar. And you felt like you were right there with Cliff and Norm. And you laughed at Sam and you wondered how he could be so bad at relationships. You were, you were a member of that family. Or for the next generation, how about friends? What a name for a show. How many people have friends that are better friends through the screen than they actually know in real life? Because loneliness causes us to pursue artificial means of fulfillment. How about this? Excitement. Do you realize that when you're really excited and everything goes well, that you're actually in a place where you can fall from enduring in the calling that you have in Christ? 
Think of Saul, the king before David. Saul had just been this, had this massive victory, and God had specific instructions in the victory about what he was supposed to do. Everybody was really excited, and the, the prophet Samuel came up, and he said, Saul, did you fulfill the will of the Lord? And, and Saul says, yes, yes, I did. There was great victory in the Lord. It's amazing. Everybody's so excited, right? And then Samuel goes, well, why am I hearing this bleeding of sheep? Bleating, B-L-E-E-T-I-N-G. Because Saul was told that he should devote everything captured as a sacrifice to God as an act of judgment on the genuinely wicked and horrendous people that were doing these horrible things. So this was like a, a prehistoric uh, Adolf Hitler situation. These were wicked people that they were facing and God was judging them. And the deal was is that Saul in the thrill of victory looked around and he saw the happiness of all his men and he told them, take whatever you want, guys. You earned it. You're so great. You're just the best. I want you to have it. So he was so excited that he didn't endure in what God had for him. He didn't lead his men by saying, men, the Lord has given us a great victory today and we will carry out his will. How about the difficulty of trauma and recovery? Remember the great victory of Elisha? I think it was Elisha on Mount Carmel. Do I have the right prophet? By Elijah, thank you. I get those two crossed up in my head. So if you don't know the story, uh, there's this time in the, the history of God's people where many people had turned their hearts from worshiping the true and living God to worshiping false gods. The thing about these false gods is they demand increasing sacrifices to make your life good. It's like addiction, right? There's always just a little more the next time that you need. And so these false gods, people are just giving more and more of their life to them, even to the point where they're starting to sacrifice their children to them for the sake of their future. Can you imagine that? What terrible place do you have to be in your heart when you're willing to do that? And so Elijah says this, look, let's show who the real God is. We're going to have a God showdown. We're going to have like a divine drag race. You're going to make sacrifices to your gods, and you're going to see if they will come down and receive the sacrifice of the altar. And then I'm going to make an altar to my God, and, he, and we're going to call out to, I'm going to call out to him, and we're going to see if he will receive the sacrifice of the altar. So here's the picture. There's all of these guys, prophets, hundreds of them, and they're around, and they've got this altar, and they're doing like wacky things, right? Like they're freaking out. They're shouting to their gods. They're banging pots and pans together. Some of them are cutting their own arms and pouring their own blood on the altar. They're doing all of these wild things to get their gods going. Then, then Elijah laughs at them, and he says, guys, your god must have been on a bender last night. Are, are they just asleep? You can't wake them up? Oh, oh, I know. Probably delayed in the outhouse. Just give them a minute. They'll get here eventually, right? Like really mocking these guys for the worship of their false god. And then he says, listen, now you will see who the true god is, right? Let's, let's start this drag race for real. And so he builds his altar and he says, bring some water. Bring lots of water. He digs a ditch around the altar. They pour water on the altar until the whole altar is soaked and there's a moat around it, right? So it's like a kid building a castle on the beach. Let's make this thing impenetrable, right? And then he just prays. He doesn't cut himself. He doesn't make a sacrifice. He, he doesn't have to wake God up or earn God's power. And he just prays, Lord, show these people who you are. Would your glory be revealed today? And you wouldn't believe what happens. It says that fire descended from heaven. And it consumed, consumed the offering, it consumed the altar, it consumed the stones, it consumed the water, so that all that was left there was scorched earth. So Elijah, Elijah has this massive victory, this huge victory in the Lord. It's this moment of amazing glory, right? 
And then there's judgment on the false prophets. But then Elijah hears that the queen is mad at him and after him. Wow. Fear, trauma, difficulty. Now, sin traumatizes humanity. You know, we don't have to be the ones who experience the problem to be impacted by the problem. Sometimes the things that we see just hurt us. And he had seen the wrath of this queen before. And so he gets word and he goes and he hides in a cave. He can't endure. He just wants to give up and die. Trauma and difficulty, being in recovery, they can weigh our souls down. And in these things, we need to surrender. We need to know God's will. But the reality is each of these things can impede your ability and your desire to surrender to God's will for your life. Have you ever faced that time of darkness, that difficulty where all of these things have stacked up and, and you would just rather not be than to have those problems be? I know that not everybody has been there before, but if you've been there before, you know the darkness that's there. And even if you haven't been there before, you've probably felt like, hey, how can I endure in these difficulties? And what is this always for? You know, it's really difficult when we don't feel like the suffering that we're facing is for anything. It's really difficult when the, the work that we think that we're called to do doesn't feel productive. And these things can be a barrier to us, not even just for surrendering, but even just desiring God's will. I would just rather that the suffering be, would be over. But the reality is that there can be great goodness through the path of suffering. That somehow God is so good that he can redeem and transform our suffering so that in the end we look back and we say, this is good. Have you ever listened to somebody whose life story is just a train wreck and then God redeems and they're talking about it, they're sharing their testimony and then someone asks this wonderful question, looking back, what would you change? And they go, nothing. You're like, nothing? The, the addiction, the, the abuse, the, the failure, the bankruptcy, the, the betrayal, your own sin, and you wouldn't change a thing? I would change everything. I'd be like, God, let's make this a beautiful sunset of a life. Let's just start it with blue skies and no clouds all day. And then they say, because it was this journey that brought me to this good place that I have now. So you need to know that on the other side of the suffering, the other side of the difficulty, the other side of the lack of endurance is something incredibly redemptive and powerful. And so how do we get there? Well, we need to understand that the best, best path to endurance is to understand God's will for you in your life. The best path to endurance is to understand God's will for you in your life. And if you still got your Bible open, uh, flip to Colossians 1, 9. It's in the verses that we read today. But it's the start of the prayer. Paul says that we haven't stopped praying for you, and we are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and all spiritual understanding. Remember that endurance was something that they prayed for, but it was endurance in the context of knowing God's will. And what is, what is it knowing God's will in? It's in wisdom and all spiritual understanding. What does Proverbs say that wisdom is found in? Where does wisdom start? The fear of the Lord. Now, does this mean like, oh God, you're going to kill me? Is like Mr. Bill on SNL. Anybody remember that? Like, oh no. No, it's not, it's not like that. It's, it's this reverent awe, knowing that God is the one who is over all the universe and can do all things on his own. He doesn't need any of us. So it's this understanding that God is greater. But then also with spiritual understanding, 
Suffering is not without point or purpose. God has a plan in suffering. It's going to be redeemed. There's going to be good that comes out of it, even if you don't know it right now. But to trust God through the difficulty that you're facing, to know that his suffering is good. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed, or being not conformed to this age, being transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Now, it's a very interesting thing here. Because it, there's like this, almost this duality. But this duality works together. Uh, anybody know anything about electricity? So on a battery, you've got a positive terminal and a negative terminal. Why? Why do we have to have those things? So there'd be a flow of power, right? There needs to be a completed circuit. There's power leaving and power returning on that battery. It's the nature of the battery to work that way. And spirituality is like that. There's this positive force and there's this receiving force who's the positive force who's the energizer jesus god is that right like we it's not energy on our own to endure we're receiving this but we need to complete the circuit and then it has to transfer back to god and so god is the one who is giving the knowledge of his will and you are the one who is walking it out in obedience and if you're not doing the walking it out in obedience what's going to happen to the flow it's going to stop the discovery of God's will is going to cease in that moment. Does it mean that God is out of juice for you? No, he's always got power. He's always got love. He's always got a plan. He's always good. He never is going to give up on you, but you need to be willing to do that response back, and that's what worship is. Worship is you responding to the move of God in your life. It's not singing a song. It's not reading a Bible. It's a posture in your heart where you've surrendered to the move of God. You've surrendered to his power changing you. And so you are transformed in that act of worship. And there's a lot of talk. What does it mean to be, how do we get transformed by the renewing of our minds? And then people are like, you've got to read the Bible. And I think, yes, that's true. But what about this Roman church? Did any of them have the Bible? Do you think they had like 17 versions of the Greek New Testament? No, not at all. The scrolls were at the church. They didn't have the word. What was going to transform them then? This act of worship and the power of the Holy Spirit working in them as they had Godward hearts, as their internal direction was changed. God is pouring the knowledge of his will out. He wants to give you spiritual understanding, but we respond to that spiritual understanding by worshiping him in the way that we live in our lives. And this transforms us and renews us. And there's something that's vital that you need to know in the midst of this. This is not of you. You are a willing participant. You remember as a kid going to the fair or to the amusement park? Remember the power of giving the admission fair to the guy who was running the Tilt-A-Whirl or the Gravitron or the Ferris wheel? Why was that such a good ride? Because mom and dad paid the admission and all you had to do was say yes and get on the ride. Our spiritual life is a lot like that. Someone else paid the admission he gave you the ticket to knowing God through your faith. And then you get on the ride. Your choice is to get on the ride. God's power is to move the ride. In Galatians 3, Paul warns the Galatians Christians because they thought that they needed to produce this life of worship of themselves. It says, 
Are you so foolish after beginning by the Spirit? Are you now finishing by the flesh? Do you think in some way that you're going to be the ones to make this act of worship be poured out? No, no, no. It's God working in you to desire and to work out his good pleasure. And God's will starts with that faith that says yes to Jesus, and it grows from there. John 6, 29, Jesus says, This is the work of God that you believe in the one he has sent. That's the work of the believer. That's the work of life is to just keep your faith in Jesus through all of these hardships to say that Jesus is the one who's bringing me through this. I don't need a bigger bank account. I don't need better friends. I don't need a better job. I mean, all those things might seem to help, but the reality is you can have all those things and still be helpless. It's God who is the one who is able and his faith grows and transforms you. John 15, 1 through 5. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. Colossians 3.2, set your mind on the things above, not on earthly things. It's as you remain in faith, as you stand firm in your belief that God strengthens you. It, it sounds almost mysterious, right? Like, wait a minute, I thought it was going to be from God. It is, but you, you need to remain in your faith if you're going to receive that from God. Endurance is a fruit from the Lord. It's something that he produces in you as you are connected to him. And so then your struggle, your struggle is not against those outside forces, your, you know, the difficult situations in your life. Well, let me rephrase that. Your struggle is not against the difficult situations in your life. It's, it's against that flesh inside of you that says, I want to do it on my own. It's against the spiritual attack that says, God is not big enough and you've got to do it on your own. You've got to switch over to manipulation. You've got to switch over to lying. You've got to switch over to greed and pride. These are the things that you're going to find success in. Look at those people who are proud and greedy. They have everything in life. You should do that too. But not at all. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In the ways that you live, make them the ways that he's called you to live. And then he will make your path straight. Does it, does it mean that you're going to be a billionaire? Does it mean that you're going to drive a fancy car that makes you feel special? Does it mean that everybody's always going to look at you and say, that person's amazing? Not at all. But it means that God will look at you and say, that person is amazing means that God will provide for you and give you the things that really matter the most in life. God's will for you starts with faith and it grows from there. Here's the next piece of this. God doesn't want you to just get by. He wants to strengthen you so that you have an enduring, patient, zealous faith. An enduring, patient, zealous faith. Endurance and patience that is characterized by joy with thanksgiving. That's what Paul prays for. That's what he says that you're going to find as you live and work in God's will in your life, a zealous faith. This picture of zealous is a pot that is just rip-roaring boil over the fire. Have you ever seen a pot that is like really boiling? Uh, a few months ago, I was making pasta for my family, and, and I turned on the stove, and I didn't watch the pot, because what, what happens when you watch the pot? 
It never boils, right? It never boils. And I, I have just a little bit of adult ADHD, right? I've talked about this before, which means I'm a little bit distractible. And so I walked away from the pot and I got a little distracted. And I was like, oh, wait, I bet the pot's boiling. And I go back to the pot and the lid on the pot is like, you know, it's like dancing around like a kindergartner on Christmas morning. And I open it up and man, that water is just, it's this like fomenting water furnace inside because the pan was on hot and it was just like this fervency of heat in the water that's that's the kind of faith that god wants that you're so connected to his glory and his power and love that inside you're like that kindergartner on christmas morning about jesus that you're like oh jesus is so good guys like god wants you to have faith that's so big that people look at you and they say he's out of his mind she's out of his mind her mind and, and then you say i'm not out of my mind i'm just in love with jesus you need to get out of your mind and into Jesus' heart for you, right? Like, like God is this amazing in our lives, and that's a, that's a product of the Lord. It's not talking about churching yourself up. It's, it's talking about Jesus loving you up and building you up to the point that inside you, you have so much joy that it overcomes the difficult circumstances that you're in. So Colossians 1.12, giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light with joy. Because you're not looking at your trials. You're looking at the one who brings victory. You're not looking at your suffering. You have great strength in the Savior. He's working in your life and you realize that these momentary trials don't hold a candle to the sun of the glorious future that's for you in Christ Jesus. And so you're focused on him instead of this life. Romans 12:11, Not lacking in zeal, but be fervent in spirit as you serve the Lord. This is something that God produces in you. It's not the steady, slow death of endurance. It's the growing strength of the Holy Spirit inside of you. And I was talking with a guy this week, and, and he was sharing about this difficult season that he's healing from. It was incredibly painful. It involved church hurt. If, you, if you've experienced church hurt before, one of the things that you understand is it's like family hurt. It's so hard to overcome. And I know so many believers who've fallen away from walking with the other saints because they just feel like the church is just so terrible and dangerous. And you know what? It, it can be. But so is the rest of life. You know, the church is not full of perfect people. It's the perfect place for imperfect people to find a perfect savior. And so we walk and we fail each other. And this person has dealt with failure after failure, and they're, they're now in a place where they're recovering, and, and, and the confession was, I just began to wonder if I was God's ashtray. I just began to wonder if the only thing that I was going to get was burnt out ashes and smoldering butts, if I was just a, a trash heap for Jesus. Man, my heart ached. But then this person said, but God is bringing renewal, and I'm healing from that. And I met so many people that if they would just think about it, they, they would resonate with that. I feel like God's ashtray. I feel like all he's doing is dumping his burned out leftovers on me. I'm just a holy trash heap. Oh, so far from the opposite. Jesus says that the one who believes in me will have springs of living water flow from them and they will never thirst again. That does not sound like an ashtray to me. That sounds like a fountain overflowing. This is the biblical picture of endurance. And I got to tell you that when I'm really honest, there have been a few times in my life when I've endured that way. Just a few. There's a whole lot of times when I've endured with tears and suffering and difficulty. And that was just last month, you know, at 43 years old. Endurance that is joyful, that's filled with gratefulness, starts with this 
surrendered heart that says, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. Not my desires, Lord, but your desire. Not my hope, but the hope of heaven, God. Because God gives strength to endure when we surrender to his will. And that surrender brings us to greater faith. And that greater faith brings us to greater transformation. And that greater transformation gives us endurance because our hope will not disappoint us because we have an awesome Savior who is capable in all of the suffering, in all of the mundaneness, in all of the loneliness, in all of the recovery and trauma. God is able. So hold on to him and let him strengthen you and give you endurance. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. I'm going to invite the worship team and Steve up to lead us in communion this morning as we finish out our worship time together. Father, thank you for today. Father, this week, your, your scripture has just enlightened me and challenged me personally, and I anticipate that it's, it's challenging us together, all of us. We pray, Father, that you would meet us in this place of surrender, and once again, God, we just, we surrender to you. We, we give up our own ways, God, and we ask, God, that your way would be our way. Father, we have faith to seek you and to say that we want your will, but we need you to strengthen that. This is not something that we can accomplish, God, but that you must accomplish in us. And so we're seeking after you. We pray that you would glorify yourself in our lives. We pray that we would learn to depend on you in everything that we face. Father, at the start of this message, everyone in here, or lots of us, wrote down a thing that we've been carrying, a stress that we've faced this week, a difficulty. God, we bring these things to you with boldness. We know, God, that you're able to work in them and to touch them, and so we present them to you. We present to you our spouses and ourselves, our kids, our financial struggles, our work, our health, Father, all of the things that we've listed. We pray that you would touch them, that you would address them, and that you would meet our needs in them, that we'd be able to bear testimony amongst those who know you and who don't know you, that my God is able but Father, we also pray because in some of these things, you are going to call us to endurance. You're going to call us not to dig down deep within ourselves, but instead to have our roots go deeply into you. And so we pray, God, that you would give us this holy endurance that is marked by thanksgiving and patience and joy. We pray these things in the name of our capable Savior, Jesus. Amen.